Welcome to EpiMedic. This is a podcast dedicated to teaching you about the basic concepts of epidemiology and statistics. My name is Yawen and I will be your host. I am a medical student and I have finished an intercalation degree in epidemiology. My podcast will interest you if you are a student, a healthcare professional, a healthcare policymaker, or just a curious person wanting to learn more about epidemiology and evidence-based medicine. It is unfortunately particularly useful at the moment in helping us understand the COVID-19 pandemic and the evidence behind some of the responses by public health bodies. In this first episode, I will briefly talk about what is epidemiology using historical examples. The word epidemiology comes from the Greek words epi, on or upon, demos, people, logos, the study of. You may think that the study of people sounds a lot like demography. How is that related to medicine? Okay, let me try to explain what it is to you by telling you the what, how, and why of epidemiology. On the most fundamental level, epidemiologists study the distribution of health events which includes frequency and pattern of health events. This is the what of epidemiology. One famous example of a study of distribution was the story of John Snow and cholera. In August of 1854, Soho, a suburb of London, was hit hard by a terrible outbreak of cholera. At that time, most people believed that cholera was caused by breathing bad air or a miasma in the atmosphere. But Dr. Snow thought otherwise. He believed that cholera entered the body by mouth. So he worked around the clock to track down information from hospitals and public records. He plotted cases of cholera on a map of the area and found those who lived or worked near a pump in Broad, now Broadwick Street, were more likely to contract cholera. In those days, people used town wells and communal pumps to get the water they used for drinking, cooking and washing. It became clear to Snow that the contaminated water from the pump could be the source of infection. To rule out other possible sources of the epidemic besides the pump water, Snow also investigated groups of people who did not get cholera and tracked down whether they drank pump water. He found several important examples. A workhouse near Sohu had 535 inmates, but almost no cases of cholera. Snow discovered that the workhouse had its own well and brought water from the Grand Junction Waterworks. However, the cases of two women, Anise and her aunt, who died of cholera puzzled Snow. The aunt lived some distance from Sohu, as did her niece and Snow could make no connection to the pump. The mystery was cleared up when he talked to the woman's son. He told Snow that his mother had lived in the Broad Street area at one time and liked the taste of the water from the pump so much that she had bottles of it brought to her regularly. Water drawn from the pump on 31st of August, the day of the outbreak, was delivered to her. 
As was her custom, she and her visiting niece took a glass of the pump water for refreshment. And according to Snow's records, both died of cholera the following day. In this way, Snow was able to prove that the cholera was not a problem in Sohu, except among people who are in the habit of drinking water in the Broad Street pump. The distribution of disease is not only a topic that we are curious about, sometimes it points to important clinical information and can have policy implications. On 7th of September 1854, Snow took his research to the town officials and convinced them to take the handle off the pump, making it impossible to draw water. The officials were reluctant to believe him, but took the handle off as a trial. To their surprise, they found the outbreak of cholera almost immediately trickled to a stop. So, this is the watch of epidemiology, in other words, the distribution of health events. Now we move on to the how of epidemiology. We want to know if any determinants or risk factors can influence the distribution of the disease. The story of Percival Pott and scrotal cancer can give us some insight into the study of risk factors. In 1775, Dr. Pott, a prestigious surgeon working in London, observed an unusually high incidence of skin sores on the scrotums of young men who had one thing in common. All of them were chimney sweeps as children. During 18th century, Londoners often hired young boys aged between 4 and 7 years as chimney sweeps because the chimney flues were very narrow. The poor hygiene conditions at the time meant that these children would bathe normally once a year and would often work naked, repeatedly exposing their skin to toxins in the chimney suit. At that time, Pott hypothesized that chronic irritation of the testicular skin by suit and chimney tars might have been the cause of these cancers. He named it the chimney sweeps cancer. It was only 140 years later that we established that chronic tar exposure and some halogenated hydrocarbons derived from chimney suits are carcinogenic and are risk factors for squamous cell carcinoma. This is the how of epidemiology, which is the study of how determinants or risk factors influence the distribution of diseases. Ultimately, we don't just want to observe the distribution and find out what factors influence the distribution of disease. That's when we move on to the goal of studying epidemiology, which is the why. I believe that epidemiology stems from a basic human desire to interfere with diseases. But how do we find out which remedy works and which one doesn't? We achieve that by designing scientific trials and identifying effective measures to prevent disease, cure disease and promote health. One of the most well-known clinical trial in medical history was the trial done by the Scottish doctor James Lind. In the 18th century, everyone who went on a sea journey knew that they would be exposed to a fatal illness, scurvy that would rot their gums, cause open sores to appear on the skin, and eventually death. And there was no way around it since, according to the thinking of the time, it was due to the conditions of the journeys, such as the poor diet, dirty water, hard work, and unhealthy housing. During the age of exploration, between 1500 and 1800, 
it has been estimated that scurvy killed at least 2 million sailors. While serving as surgeon of the Royal Navy in 1747, Lind decided to carry out experiments to find a cure for scurvy. After eight weeks at sea and when scurvy began to take its toll on the crew, Lind decided to test his idea that the disease could be prevented with acids. On May the 20th, he divided 12 sick sailors into six pairs and provided each of them with a different supplement in their diet, cider, diluted sulfuric acid, vinegar, seawater, two oranges and a lemon, or a purgative mixture. Only the two sailors who took oranges and lemon improved, which made him concluded that the oranges and lemons were the most effective remedies for this distemper at sea. Based on Lynn's work, another Scottish doctor, Gilbert Blaine, convinced the Admiralty to include lime juice in the diet of sailors. The disease at once disappeared from the official sick returns. Our approach to conduct clinical trials has improved a lot since the days of James Lind. Now we have different types of trials for evaluating different interventions. These trials can help us find out if a new intervention is safe or effective at treating diseases, preventing health problems, or improving quality of life. Okay, that's all for today. Thank you again for tuning in and I hope to see you again soon.